This is the Marked Podcast from LifeWay Women. We're your hosts, Mary Margaret West and Elizabeth Heinemann. Each episode, we'll talk about what God's doing, how He has and is marking each of us. Sometimes that will be through interviews, and sometimes we'll have conversations around the table. We're so glad you joined us today. We are so glad you've joined us on another episode of the Marked Podcast. Welcome. Hello. Welcome. We are so glad that y'all are here. And and honestly, every once in a while, we invite a guy to be a part of the podcast conversation. Mm -hmm. And so that's what we're going to do today. Yes. We're so thankful to have J.D. Greer on with us today. We are. Welcome, J.D. Uh, well, now that you said that, I feel incredibly honored. The fact that I'm <laughs> not one of the few guys that actually makes it on the podcast. Yes. So. A few brave men. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. Well, would you mind kind of telling, you know, Elizabeth and I both know about you and who you are, but would you mind telling our listeners a little bit about yourself? Well, let's see. Uh, I'm in my mid forties. I won't tell you exactly where that is (laughs) because it's every year. It's, I I like to admit it less and less. I have four children, the oldest of which is 15. I actually just turned 16. Take that back. Mm. My youngest is nine, got three little girls and a boy, um, married to, uh, you know, I, I say you don't really believe in love in first sight, but when I saw Veronica, I came as close to, I think you can hum- humanly come to it. Um, <laughs> she was a, a counselor at a camp I was speaking at and that was uh, several years ago in Richmond, Virginia, uh, where she lives in, she lived in Richmond, Virginia. So, um, we've been married for, uh, going on 19 years and I'm currently pastor of the summit church. Uh, I've been pastor here since 2002. Um, we're, uh, in the Raleigh Durham area. And, uh, I'd say after being a dad and a husband pastor is my primary identity. Uh, currently right now I serve as the president of the Southern Baptist convention. So that's a, a little, you know, side job, a little hobby. Uh, <laughs> I say that tongue in cheek. But, yeah. So I don't know, you know, I'd be happy to press in on anything you want, but that would be the, the basic gist, I guess. Awesome. That's good. And, um, and I just love to, that, um, it's been fun over the last few years, just as we watch church culture and stuff, just mm-hmm. to see how Summit Church has grown and just some of the stuff that you guys are doing and um, and are just grateful for how we're seeing pastors lead really well in the local church and are just grateful for how you do that. So thank you. For sure. Well, yeah, yeah and I, and I mean that when I say that primary job is pastor. I, I read this thing about Martin Luther years ago. It was in, I think it, it was like the introduction to one of his books. And he just said, he said, you know, never aspire to have a national ministry. The way he said it is never aspire to teach the church at large. Just focus on what God's given you to do. Mm. And in, in that particular context, he was talking to other pastors and he said, you know, just teach your local church. And if the church at large feels like it's got something that you should say to it, then, you know, then then it'll come to you. And so that's sort of been a godly thing. It's like, I'm a pastor. God called me to be a husband and a dad and a pastor. And man, I just want to, you know, do what God's called me to do. And if he's got other things, he'll, he'll bring them to me. And if I can do them and not compromise my other, my other commitments and callings, and I'll, I'll do it. And that's, that's kind of how I ended up as the SBC president for this, for this year. That's awesome. And, and I know too, you also host a podcast called mm-hmm. ask me anything. Um, what is the craziest question you've been asked so far? Or is there one that's been like harder than the others to answer? Well, some of the crazy ones I don't answer. Yeah. That's filter. But uh, yeah, some of them are, I mean, we, they, they range from things like, you know, are you a Calvinist, you know, and those mm-hmm. things like that. Uh, I remember one was about, is it okay to kiss before you, you actually get married? Uh, and, I, you know, I was able to say, hey, I, I didn't kiss my wife until we were married because, you know, she wasn't my wife until we were married. So, you know, there sort you of go. go. <laughs> on that, that way. Uh, but, you know, it, it, some questions that are really like, like unexpected like that. So that's, yeah. that's the one I remember most is the kissing before marriage. Because I think my 
um, I, I didn't want my wife to listen to it. I'm like, is she going to agree with me? So. Uh, that's awesome. Well, fine. Well, if we will make sure to link to that in our show notes today mm-hmm. on this episode, um, but just great little tidbits. And I love too, just that it's, you know, it's short, it's bites, it's, it's very tangible and like, yes. you know, easy to grab. And so I've really enjoyed listening well, to that. Because, was- you know, where kind of the idea came from is um, really two different places. One is when I'm at these conferences, everybody enjoys the panels, I think, mm-hmm. most of all. And that's just, you know, little unprepared questions that get asked. And um, the other one was whenever I'm on campus, I, like we have a lot of college campuses here and I go out and do stuff on them. Uh, man, they love it when when I just like, you know, I just kind of open up a microphone and say, all right, for the next hour, who's got questions? And, you know, even skeptical college students, pretty much they only ask like five different versions of five different versions of like five questions. And so Mm -hmm. I was like, well, maybe we should just have a, you know, podcast where you just sort of almost kind of unplanned take six, seven minutes and, and just try to answer some of these questions. So I, I hope it's helpful for people. Awesome. Well, and we're kind of going to do that today. And honestly, as Elizabeth and I were working on these questions together, just trying to think of things that would be relevant to y'all as our listeners that you know would help you wherever it is that you are um, as you're walking with the Lord, as you're involved in your churches, as you're leading out, um, just from a pastor's perspective right. and, and from a leader's perspective. And so that's kind of what we're going to dive into today. So as we do that, um, you know, I think and some of this is going to talk about women in the church and like how, how those things meld together, kind of what it looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, And some of that has become really convoluted and it's become like confusing and broader culture. And we probably made it a lot more complicated than it has to be. And so like, let's start with a really straightforward question. What does the Bible say about women in the local church? (laughs) Well, yeah, uh, just go ahead and just throw it out. Just throw it. Might as well. That should be a real easy one. Yeah. Uh, so I am I hold to what you know gets called a complementarian position, which is that God created the two genders. He created them equally, but He also created them differently. Um, and you know he, he both of them were created with unique or different aspects of the image of God, so that the two of them together would be a better representation of the image of God than one of them would have been alone. And, you know, we see that all the way back in Genesis two and three, that's where the woman gets called the helper, which, you know, sometimes people feel like is a diminutive term, but it's, it's not because the only other person who gets called helper in scripture is, is God himself. So, you know, she has a, has a godlike dimension in the way that she brings cohesion to relationships, the way she thinks um, about, you know, various problems and issues. I mean, her, her voice and her insight is a very critical one, um, both in the family and in the larger you know, community of God. So by the time you get to the New Testament, what you see is that that man, you know, his role in two spheres that are specified are going to be the family and the and the church where man is to take a, a let's just say a lead role. You know, in the in the home, Ephesians five, uh, the man is to, to lead the home like Christ leads the church, which obviously is a leadership that's not built on domineering or this is my way and this is the way I want it done, but is, is built on self-sacrifice and laying down his life for the you know, interest of, of his family and his wife. Um, and then in the church, you know, Paul explains first Timothy two and three that um, that the man is to, to hold the office of elder uh, and all the things that go along with uh, the office of elder, which is usually, uh, you know, it's going to be like your, your, your governance and your, your teaching authority. So what we realize is that, you know, those are the, the things that God has given us that relate to the image um, that he has put within us. But, uh, I feel like a lot of times we people in complementarian circles like mine, they, they've kind of overplayed their hand a little bit in saying, you know, that that therefore that means that men 
men do the serious work in the church. They're the ones who are leading ministries. They're the ones who think about theology. And, you know, women, their, their Bible study should be about, you know, how to, to make the perfect souffle and how to <laughs> not be sad on rainy days and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and bring coffee for, you know, the people who are doing the real work of ministry. But mm-hmm. that's, not, that's not at all. I mean, you know, I don't see any restriction on any spiritual gift in mm-hmm. the whole New Testament that's given only to men. Now, the, the role that they exercise that gift in, you know, may be a little different because, you know, like I said, I, I think that pastor elder role is reserved exclusively for men. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean that a woman doesn't have the ability to, to think with vision and with clarity and wisdom and to, you know, um, to, to lead out in ministries and, and to teach. And so, you know, it's, it's, we want to embrace the full scope of, of, of their equal partnership while at the same time respecting the, the things that God laid out in Scripture as his, his guidelines. That's good. And and I think just to thank you for just giving a real clear answer mm-hmm. to, um, you know, because th- that is a question we get asked a lot or yes. just how does this play out? What does it look like? Or that just we see women asking on a regular mm-hmm. basis. And so that's really helpful. Yes. Yeah. And to further explain that question, like we work with women who serve in local churches all over the country and they're leading out, they're teaching, they're equipping in girls ministry and student ministry in women's ministry. And they're also asking the question, what does it look like for me in the long run when it comes to my place and calling to serve the local church? So how do we help guide women who are navigating their calling and then the specific roles within the local church? How would you answer that question? Yeah, no, great question. Let me just affirm it for a minute. You know, so I'm, I'm married to a a high-spirited woman, <laughs> um, and she's whenever we're in a room, believe it or not, she's the one everybody kind of notices. Not mm-hmm. you know, yeah, I'm sort of like the wallflower in the back. And she, um, uh, you know, she, and we, I have three very high-spirited daughters, and I don't know if God's going to call him to work in the church, but if if he does, I want them to be able to use the full extent of their of their gifts that are in there. And so, mm-hmm. you know, what is it's kind of behooved me in in thinking within a complementarian structure like. Like, why are the pathways to ministry so much clearer for men than they are for women? Right. Um, even just, again, I'll just be very candid with you. You know, if you rewind the clock here at the Summit Church five, six years, I mean, if you were a guy and you felt like you wanted to be developed in ministry, whether it was to lead in lay ministry or professional, we had a track for you. Oh, yeah. we'll come to these, here's this. We didn't have hardly anything that was similar for women. Um, we had Bible studies for them um, mm-hmm. and you had community groups, but nothing that was really built on developing. Second thing that we did is, you know, we started to look through our staff structure and we said, okay, again, no question about whether or not the elder pastor elder roles need to be held by men, but where are there other roles in the church that could be held, that could be accomplished by somebody who wasn't a pastor elder that we had just kind of by default thought of in terms of men doing them when really either gender could be doing them. Right. And that led to, and we went through our entire staff structure. I mean, it was, we reviewed like 200 different jobs and I found a huge number of them could very easily be defined in ways that would not require a pastor or elder to do them. Um, I, I give you an example. Um, uh, we have, we have different campuses at our church and, um, we have an associate campus pastor role. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you put the word pastor in there, it needs to be a guy, but but, you know, we, 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 we redefined it as an associate campus director yeah, and right. somebody that could, you know, basically have, whether it's the administrative, the organizational things and pulling, 
you know, teams together, but she, but she wasn't doing it in the capacity of a pastor. And we've done that at multiple levels. Um, the, the head of one of my ministry teams here is a woman The you know, for a while, the head of our communication department um, was a woman. And we, we just said, all right, what are ways in fact, right now our sending director who kind of just, you know, helps us strategize about the most effective places to send, whether locally, domestically, or internationally, um, is led by just a dynamic, um, one of the most capable leaders I've ever been around, mm. a, a woman named Lori. And she's, um, you know, she's just, um, you know, I'm grateful to see that that because we were able to to think like, we're, we're not cheating on it. We're not like just not calling her a pastor. We're yeah, just saying, right. We've removed the pastoral authority roles out of that and just said, here's a place she can lead. So that'd be a short answer to that question, or maybe kind of a mid-sized answer to that question. <laughs> Good answer. And do you, would you say you recommend seminary for women who want to work in vocational ministry? Oh, absolutely. I mean, yeah. I mean, I mean seminary is a great option. For people. <laughs> if anybody, if people had three years of their life, didn't know what to do with, I like go to seminary. I mean, learn to study the Bible. I mean, what, it shouldn't be men and men alone that right. um, understand the scripture. It shouldn't even be pastors and pastors alone. So mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, e- equip yourself and whether you're, you know, whatever capacity you're giving in, I'll just say this, this is uh, probably peripherally, how do we pronounce that word? Um, particularly <laughs> related um, is, you know, uh, right now in, in the Southern Baptist convention, um, as with many large denominations, you're dealing with um, you know, there's a lot of questions about the sexual abuse and mm-hmm. where it's been mishandled. And when people step forward, were they not given the hearing that they should have been given? And, you know, in most cases, it wasn't like an intentional, like, hey, we're going to cover up abuse. It's just people that didn't have the filters to know, hey, this is you know an issue. You just wonder how would it be different had there been women in areas of leadership that would have been picked up on things like that a lot quicker than than the guys in the room, you know, would have picked up on it. I think God designed for His church to be, to be this, you know, uh, this uh, panoply of voices that are coming from, from different perspectives. And and so, yes, go to seminary. You know, get you understand what the church is, how to work in it, how to motivate and mobilize people. And and uh, and yeah, I mean, we, we we need the 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 initiative and the wisdom and the energies, and the gifts of of our sisters in Christ and in the kingdom. Yeah. And, and Elizabeth and I have both done seminary, mm-hmm. like it's just a part of our, I think for each of us, it's just been a part of our calling and where the Lord's taken us. For me, us. it was literally, I had three years that I didn't know what to do with. So <laughs> I went to seminary yeah. and obviously God led me there looking back. But at the time I was just like, oh yeah, I have three years. What should I do with my life? And so yeah. I went to seminary to learn more about yeah. God in the Bible. So mm-hmm. and yeah. mine be prophetic there. So (laughs) that's awesome. And, you know, and I think in mine, it was just like a next, like I knew it was just a clear next step Mm -hmm. that the Lord had for me. And like, you know, I'd already been serving in ministry full time, but it was like, the Lord just said, this is, it's not required of you, but this is beneficial to you. And so I'm really grateful for it now looking back. Um, I use my degree all the time, you know, whether it's like counseling people who are walking through difficult situations or working in student ministry or, Mm -hmm. you know, like how, like legitimately how to study the Bible, how Mm -hmm. to use tools. And so it's, been um, really beneficial. And and there were a lot of women and I was very much championed in that. Yes. And I'm grateful um, for, for pastors, ministry leaders who champion women who um, feel called to go do that. And so, you know, as we like are talking about women in the church and all of this, like, you know, there I encounter women on a regular basis 
who feel called to ministry, um, you know, but are in a church where their pastor maybe has a, you know, a different vision of, you know, picture of what women's roles in local church look like than, you know, where y'all are and where, where you are and the way that you're leading. And so how, you know, from a pastoral perspective, how would you help encourage a woman who is stuck in a, in a difficult place in her own church and trying to live under the authority of her own pastor and leadership there, but is struggling to find her spot when it's just, it's a very small view of women in the church. Yeah, that's a tough question. I, um, obviously it's gotta be a case by case basis and there's not, it's hard to give a one size fits all answer. Um, there are times, I mean, God always calls us to be part of an imperfect group of people. And if we look, you know, hard enough, we're going to find, you know, uh, difficulties and problems in every church. And Mm -hmm. so you don't want to just say, oh, well, this is, we'll see it differently. But then there is also another point at which, man, the ministry that God has made central to your life, if, you know, this church isn't able to capitalize on it for whatever reason, then, you know, what's the best thing for the kingdom here? And that's a weighty thing because, I mean, church commitment means a lot to me and means a lot. And I, I've, I have, you know, throughout my life before I became a pastor stayed at churches that I was very unhappy with a couple things that they were doing, but just knew that, you know, family is sometimes more important than having everything, you know, happen my way. So I'd say, you know, you got to ask questions of, all right, what has God called you to? And can it be, you know, sometimes it may not be the ideal way of expressing it, but it's still a way. For example, if you felt like God had called you to help directing um, you know, uh, mission type of things. Mm-hmm. And you really want to get involved in that, but they wanted the entire missions team to be men, <laughs> you know, of, of doing that, you would just say, well, you know, are, is there a mission initiative that I could, could lead out on that they would allow and, yeah. and encourage, um, you know, if you were felt called to teach the Bible, I mean, I, I don't know if I've ever been in any church where they didn't have women that were, you know, teaching other women. And if you're in a church right. of 300 right. people and you can teach 150 women, that's a, that's a good size you know, ministry. So yeah. I just say that, you know, to not like be, be kind of limited and draconian in your, you know, it's got to be exactly right. But so I would just, God, if you want me at the church, what are the ways that I can serve? But if you just feel like, man, I'm shut down at every possible angle, then yeah, it might be worth, I mean, one of the reasons we're in a church is because our ministry gets magnified and and amplified by being around like-minded believers. And, and that's a crucial thing, you know, for me in, in determining what church I should be a part of. Absolutely. And, um, and I, t- you know, I think even what you said, like, even if you're a church of 300 and there are 150 women there, like what that God could use you in a powerful way, um, to minister to those women. And, um, you know, and so just be, you know, be faithful right where God's called you. And, mm-hmm. you know, I think these are great self-evaluating kind of questions to right. ask of, you know, and, and I love to, I'm, I'm grateful that you said that point of like, sometimes we're at a place where everything's not perfect and it's never going to be perfect, but like where there's a few things, but the Lord has called us to stay there, you know, right. and to be a part of the the solution. And so I hope that's encouraging to some of you women um, who find yourselves in that situation today. And, um, and so I think that's some good, helpful stuff. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, you know, this may be a little, I'm, I'm, I'm taking a verse and applying it in a different way. But um, in a different way than it was originally intended. But the principle of the verse is, hey, sometimes you can change people's hearts. A woman can change somebody's heart by being in a, being you know with, with the man that's, you know, in this case, Paul's talking about a you know an unbelieving wife and a or unbelieving husband and a believing wife. Um, obviously, that's not the situation with a with a church. But mm-hmm. you know, maybe it, it is through kind of patient, humble, you know, leadership that shows submission to, um, you know, the, the the leaders of the church that can. Can, can really reveal and help and help change a culture in a church. And you just never know, you know, it, it, sometimes the long game, the patient game is a little bit more, a little bit more valuable. Um, I, I've, you know, there, there are votes, people don't believe this, but there are votes at this church 
that I've lost as the pastor. Mm. I was, you know, kind of like they didn't, the, the, the church leadership didn't do what I thought they should do, but you know, it was okay because sticking here, you know, being here over time, you know, God's changed the culture of the church. And, and so there, you know, we just want to make sure we give proper um, reverence for longevity and, and yeah. patience. Right. Absolutely. And, um, and, Something you kind of referenced a little while ago and what you were saying when you were answering a question um, is just this um, idea of we're hearing a whole lot right now about abuse in the church. And, you know, that's been in the news. It's all over Twitter. Like we're seeing a lot of that. And and there are a lot of when I'm if I had my guessing hat on mm-hmm. today, like I would guess that a lot of you who are listening have either experienced some sort of abuse um, in your life or know somebody who has. Right. Um, and, and for some of you, maybe you've never even spoken up about it, you know, but mm-hmm. um, but there that's been a reality for you in your life, whether or not it's inside or outside of the church. Um, but as women are speaking up more and more about that, and we're hearing those kind of stories, how would you recommend um, that we respond as sisters in Christ when those situations arise? When they're brought to you or when you hear about them in your church? I think, honestly, I think it's a both and like, yes. um, you know, kind of in, in both situations. Yeah. Well, I mean, obviously the first thing to do is, you know, to make sure you understand when you know you, you, things need to be reported because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. one, one of the things that men or women can you know confuse in this situation is when you know somebody has been mistreated and when they've actually been abused in a legal sense and when you, you really do need to get professional help whether that's law enforcement or some type of professional counseling and i'd say always err on the side of of you know asking and and yeah. helping people make those you know those decisions um you know the second is uh, we have to, we have to, we have to help, we have to help be voices for the voiceless. And a lot of times people who are the most vulnerable, the ones that are going to be heard the least and to be able to say, Hey, you know, I realize in a perfect world where everybody has a outgoing forceful personality, somebody's going to be able to step up and say, Hey, I, I, you know, I was abused and this situation helped create an environment where I could be abused and that's wrong. But but a lot of people, their personalities are that way. And so, you know, they, they don't know how to speak up and, yeah. you know, it, they can be discouraged from and sometimes even penalized for speaking up. And, you know, so I think being an advocate for them and, and helping to, you know, help convince you know, the church leaders like, hey, this is not a hostile type of, you know, we're, we're trying to take down and, and, and undo everything. We just, you know, the church ought to be the safest place in the world for victims and for those for the vulnerable it's part of our gospel message is that god loves and he protects the vulnerable and and that yeah. ought to be you know in the church and so you know making yourself an advocate and, and and being open to it if you have you know been abused um and that's part of your story and, and if god has brought you healing from it and you you've dealt with it then you know having the courage to tell that story yeah uh, every time here that we have somebody that it gives some sort of testimony here um, it is, a, it's just overwhelming, heartbreaking to me how many more people come out of the woodwork, so to speak, to say, Hey, I, I never had courage to, to say, this is what happened to me too. And I've never dealt with that. And, um, it's not a sermon that does that. It's, it's hearing somebody else talk about it and how God brought them through it. So you know, have courage with your story. Absolutely. And, you know, and two, I would also ask you, um, you know, as women in the local church, you know, which is you know, me and Elizabeth, it's, mm-hmm. you know, I would guess most of our listeners, yeah. um, how can we best support and, you know, the pastors in our church, like somebody that's in a role like yours, um, you know, that's in any position, but how can we best champion our church staffs and our, our leaders in ministry mm-hmm. and in church? 
Yeah, no, great question. I mean, uh, you know, obviously, um, when you're apart, you're involved. And when the only time they're hearing from you is not when you think something needs to change. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like it sometimes kind of amazes me when somebody will write me or con- you know, walk up to me after a service. And I-, I may not have spoken to them literally in years or never spoken to them. And they've got a list of things. And, and you know what? Some of what they, they have to say may be, may be right. And a lot right. of times it is. Right. But you know, it's kind of like I am a little bit with my kids. Like for every one negative thing I point out, I want them to have heard about five positive things. Yeah. And yeah. I build the kind of culture with my children that, that when I say the negative thing, they know it's coming because I, I greatly care about them. So, you know, being involved, letting your pastor know you're praying for him, letting them know you believe in it, assuming you that all these things are true, that you believe in him, that yeah. you are grateful for his leadership. I mean, the average pastor is, you know, does not harbor ill intentions or corrupt intentions for the church. I mean, mm-hmm. that. The average pastor is, is in it because he, he genuinely loves God, loves people, and sometimes just doesn't know what to do. Sometimes doesn't know what he doesn't know. Right. And, um, you know, it's just and it's it's not a hostile kind of, you know, defiance. It's just I'm not sure how to process. I'm not sure what to believe and to be able to to say, hey, I'm your friend. I'm your advocate. Um, you know that because I've encouraged you all these different ways. Let me let me let me show you something over here that maybe you haven't seen yet. And. You know, to, to get you and whatever other pastors or elders to, to you know prayerfully consider it. Awesome. Yeah, that's good. And those are some real tangible ways that every single For one sure. of us can um, take an active approach in championing our, our leaders and our churches and our pastors. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I think it's it's like you said, it's really easy to point out the things that we don't like, that we don't agree with, rather than engaging and, you know, just helping cheer cheer everybody on, praying for them and right. doing those things that don't feel like they're a big deal, but when mm-hmm. they, you know, in culmination at the end of the day, it really makes a big difference. Yes. Yeah. Well, one question that we always love to ask on the podcast is what has marked you? So what, what has, what has you? marked you as a believer in your walk with Christ? What is something that has marked you? Yeah. You know, the, the thing that pops into my, my heart first, when you ask that is, um, is God's call to the nations. Mm-hmm. Um, that you providentially, like two days after I become a Christian, I was 16 years old. The first biography put in my hands was Adoniram Judson's, and I, I'm looking back now, realizing that God was in, immediately when He called me to 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 follow Him, to be a Christian, to and then in the ministry, it was always with the nations in in view. Um, you know, I, I always say now to our church that God called me to the pastorate by first calling me to the mission field. Mm. And, Ever released his call in the mission field when he made me a pastor. So it's like the way I serve the mission field now is as a pastor who mobilizes and sends. And so, you know, for me, that's just, it's just so core to my identity and, and, uh, or at least my identity that God is what, he, what, he, what he's given me to do. Um, I think about some of the most significant things I've ever been a part of. They usually involve God um, bringing, uh, God bringing salvation in the nations. Even now, some of the churches, you know, our church's success, and I you obviously can't see it, but I'm putting air quotes around it because I realize <laughs> success is different, but in God's eyes, but our, our church's success is, you know, in, in sending people. And I'm realizing that it's not really because, like, I did anything, you know, really savvy leadership wise. It's not because, you know, I've just got the Midas touch of missions. It's just because that's what God, that's what God, that's what He determines, what He called me for. And He's just like, follow me while I do this through you. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we've got like 260 of our members out right now living overseas somewhere. And I just realized that's all just because 
it's what God had called it. And it's what, it's what marked me from the beginning. Obviously that's not unique to me. It should be, you know, part of every Christian's DNA at some point, but you know, it seems to be a special thing that God has, has isolated and, and empowered me for. That's awesome. I love it. I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much just mm-hmm. for being one of our few brave men here on the March podcast <laughs> and um, and just for talking I mean, as a pastor today and as a yes. leader. And um, we're grateful for you and what it is that God is doing in and through you at Summit Church, through your family um, and through the Southern Baptist Convention right now as you're leading yeah. out. And so just know that we are praying for you and are just grateful for how God's using you and your faithfulness to do that. Yes. I appreciate you. I appreciate you having me on. Look forward, hopefully, to seeing you um, sometime in Oh, I guess Nashville or sometime at uh, one of these things that we end up frequenting. (laughs) Yeah, sounds good. Well, we hope that you guys will um, check out today's show notes at lifewaywomen.com forward slash podcast. And we'll make sure to link to um, some things that JD mentioned. Um, Mm -hmm. If you're not, if you aren't aware, he's written some Bible studies that we'll also link to too. And just to make sure you can get to his podcast and all that kind of good stuff and how you can connect with him online. But this has been another episode of the Mark Podcast and we will see you next time. Bye. If you enjoyed our conversation with J.D. Greer, please know that he also has some Bible studies with LifeWay. The latest one is called Gospel Above All, and it is an eight-session Bible study, and it leads groups to a greater awareness and practice of gospel culture, gospel mission, gospel renewal, and gospel unity. The most pressing need for Christianity today is not a new strategy or an updated message. It's a return to elevating the gospel above all. I love it. And and honestly, I've talked to a handful of people who've already gone through it and have mm-hmm. just said how helpful it's been in a really practical way just to put, like, keep the main thing the main thing, yes. basically, I think is the the gist of this study. And one thing that I love about it, because I work with students, mm-hmm. is that there's a teen version, too. And yes. so even if you've got teenagers in your home or in your church, it's a great way to um, to walk through and expose them to right. these same truths. And, and because I work with girls in particular, I had a group <laughs> of girls, honestly, recently that um, just started this study. Um, shout out to these girls in Arkansas um, and they like the cover is not very girly. It's blue. It's blue. I mean, it it's not a, supposed to look girly. Yeah. But they took some washi tape and decorated their covers just to make them cute. And so, mm-hmm. hey, if you've got a group of girls, like let them learn about the Have they, a craft night before yeah. you start the Bible study. They wanted to learn about the gospel, <laughs> but like just needed their books to look cute. So, hey, we just, what, whoever you are, make this work for you because the, the message is really crucial. Yes. You can find this Bible study as well as the teen version and all the products related to it at lifeway.com slash gospel above all. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to join in the conversation, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Mary Margaret C and at ED Heinemann. Use the hashtag March podcast to connect with us. You can also find Lifeway Women on all social media channels at Lifeway Women. All of today's show notes will be posted at lifewaywomen.com forward slash podcast. If you love the show, leave an iTunes review. It's a great way for other people to hear about the show. We'll see you next time.